0: greater resilience can absolutely be built, right? So if you're in the army, you work with some of the trainers from Penn's positive psychology program and they teach you resilience. There's all sorts of people, teams that are working on this all the time, right? And so it definitely can be built. And then I think the fourth thing about it is that it requires work, it requires an investment. You know, As much as I think my article is great, just reading that article will not make you more resilient. You can read it a hundred times and you won't be more resilient.
1: to the forging metal podcast with your blacksmiths Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Today's guest is Chris Bordoni Someone that has faced a lot of setbacks in the last 20 years of his life. That has led him to become deeply fascinated with overcoming adversity, reinvention, and personal growth. I have to be honest that Chris reached out to me kind of out of the blue. He had seen our podcast and saw that it was kind of in the, in the same vein as the podcast that he runs. And he said, hey, love to be on your, your podcast. I will admit, I was like, okay, who is this guy? And, and I was a little bit reluctant. But once I got to know Chris, I, I knew right away that this would be a great guest and hopefully to call him a friend. I know Tara and I both very much enjoyed this conversation with Chris and you'll get to hear his personal story and why he wants to give back now. He's learned a few things from the rocky road that he's been on in his life and he wants to give that give that wisdom back to those that, that might benefit from it. Let's tune in to see what Chris has to say about overcoming adversity, reinvention, and personal growth.
2: So, Chris, your story and the coaching and support that you share on so many different topics and through other people's difficult stories, which we can find on your website. When I was going through, I was super inspired. And I do this, you know, Ron and I do this kind of sort of for a living as well. But your your website and some of the people that you've interviewed on your podcast, super inspiring. So I want to thank you for putting that out there to the world. But you got here, I imagine because you also started with a really difficult story of your own, and I'm not going to give it away, but back in 2015, you were, as you say, in the prime of your life. At 30 years old, you were recently married, and you had just launched a new business, and then things kind of took a turn in a direction that I, I imagine you'd probably didn't see coming. So before we get into all the really cool topics that we want to talk about with you today and your background on that, I wanted to know if you would be comfortable to share that story of what happened a few years ago.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, if you don't mind, let me go back a few years even prior to that. So when I was in high school, I was a competitive swimmer. an all-American swimmer, state champion, had a lot of success with it. When I was 16, 17 years old, I blew up both my shoulders. And so my swimming career basically was over Kind of like in in an instant. Did a ton of rehab, but ultimately couldn't get back in the pool. And then that was just like an experience that I think set me down a different path, right? Ended up transferring colleges, ended up really focusing on my studies, and then went on, got a job that I was super excited about, was working really hard, and then had a really serious back injury. And so couldn't do the job anymore, rehab for several months, and ultimately had to leave that job. So got healthy, went back to business school, and, and climbed my way back and got an even more prestigious job. And then had the same injury occur again and, you know, was sort of on my back laid up for, for months at a time and then sort of, you know, kept clawing my way back, reinventing myself. And then, as you mentioned, got to a place where I just started my own company. I was recently married. I'd gotten my first client. Things were finally looking really good and then found out that I had cancer. And not only did I have cancer, but I had cancer that had spread from my groin to my abdomen to my lungs and was, was relatively late stage cancer. And So I was 30 years old at this point. Not something that I had expected, obviously. Um, I don't think anyone expects to get sick, especially when you're a young age and you're healthy and, and things are going well. And so for me, that was, you know, that was a, a crazy experience going through it and going through surgeries and chemo and all the things that you do just to try to fight for your life and try to stay, try to get your life back, I guess. And so it's interesting getting, getting sick, and we can talk more about this, was... A horrible experience and was also one of the three best experiences of my life and I say that because as much as it was difficult and as much as I'm just lucky to be here having this conversation with you and and I think we probably all know people who aren't that lucky right and so I'm fortunate to be able to, to be here and say this but it really forced me to get clear about my values and about what I wanted out of life and what I was how I was spending my time and so from that perspective I think I was fortunate that I'd had all those prior experiences that taught me something about resilience and they taught me something about how to get back up when a door closed or when you fell down. And so I was lucky that I'd been prepared, but then I was also lucky to have a big enough experience that I made it through that really shook me enough to say, okay, I'm going to start doing some things differently in my life. And I think that's kind of what brings us to this moment now.
1: Was there, these stories are, are so powerful, and we've had another guest on here that, that talked about something similar. Was there a moment of of maybe, why is this happening to me? It's like life's landing, you know, shots on you, you and you, you're staggered, and then this happens, and, and you say, why is this, visited? was that ever part of your mindset, or was it, was it just flip a switch, and this is what I have to deal with, and and I'm going to make the best of it?
0: So, there's definitely those moments. I think anytime from my experiences i talking to other people. Anytime you go through something that big, you're going to experience all the emotions, right? Including anger, frustration, doubt, all of that stuff. So I think that that I certainly had those moments. I think my upbringing was a little bit unique, actually, in that my, my father had polio. And so he was one of the last people who had polio. And so he lost the use of his left arm and his mother also contracted it, and she was in a wheelchair and so growing up in my household, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but the way that we talked about limitations, the way that we talked about what you could and couldn't do, I think it was different than other places. Like I watched my dad grow up playing golf with one arm and tying his shoe with one hand and you know, teaching me how to hit a baseball in the backyard, like doing things that I think are really amazing now. But as a kid, it was just the way that it was. And I think credit to my dad for being someone who didn't complain about a situation you know, he and his sister were the first in their family to go to college. He was a really successful lawyer. Like a lot of things that just were, came from hard work and and finding a way, right? And so I didn't go to that place, I think, as much as maybe I could have. And I, I don't take credit for that. I think I'm a product of my upbringing like many other people or everyone else's. But I, but I think for me, there was less of the why why me, less of being angry about it. And I think it was more one, let's go to work, right? Like, this is our job. My job is to survive. And my wife and I were, I think, an amazing team. And she, she was fantastic throughout the whole thing. And it was, okay, what's next, right? And and I think credit to the medical system that when something like that happens, this is when our medical system works really well, right? When you're in an acute situation like that, and it's, you're off to the races, and sort of one thing leads to the next leads to the next. And so I think my job when I was going through chemo, and when I was going through treatment was just to stay alive and to make it to the next thing. But I also had eight hours a day in an infusion center where I sat and I read Man's Search for Meaning and I meditated and I did all sorts of things just trying to explore and make sense of it and build new skills and pass the time and and all the things that you do in a moment like that. And so, like I said, I think it was all of those feelings at once and all of those thoughts, but there was a knowing in me that maybe not a knowing, maybe that's too strong of a word. I had a sense that my time, it wasn't my time yet. I felt like I had more work to do. I didn't know what that work was. I think I'm still figuring that out to some degree, but there was a faith. There was some sort of, of deeper knowing that in the worst moments of it was super helpful to me.
2: Why do you think it, takes us getting to a point like that at sick, sitting in a hospital to make these kind of changes. And on that question, how do we help other people, do you think, reach yeah. these moments before something like that happens?
0: Yeah. I feel like this is, this is the big question, right? Yeah. Because we all know we should eat our vegetables. Like we all <laughs> should eat broccoli tonight for dinner. But most of us won't. Like We eat pizza. We, we, you know, we don't work out. We don't do the things that we know we should do. And it's really hard. It's not a mystery, by the way, what leads to good health and what leads to bad health. It's just really hard to do it. And for a lot of good reasons, I think that's in play here too, right? So I I think it's absolutely possible for people to to learn everything that I learned and more without going through all the pain that I went through. But having said that, one of the nice things about a crisis like, like that or the things that I'm describing is that it focuses you, right? In those moments, I had one job that was to stay alive and that's a really unique feeling. I actually think it's one of the things about COVID that's been, you know, one of the silver linings is that we've all gone through a moment like that together where all the things, at least early on that were distracting and interesting and important or not important in people's lives, all of that kind of fell away for a period of time where it was all about how do we stay safe? How do we care for people? How do we, you know, get through this moment? And it was really cool. I think again, really difficult situation. But the, one of the things that's been interesting about it is that everyone's gone through that together. And so I think it's possible for other people to get all of the benefit from my type of experience. <clears throat> but I think now you're in the land of habit change. Now you're in the land of how do I create practices? Like how do I figure out what my why is or that I have an intention of becoming more resilient, let's say. And then how do I start to design my life in a way where I can actually start making investments in that on a regular basis, right? So how do I get clear about why I'm doing it and figure out the areas that I want to invest in, but then how do I bring other people along for the ride? How do I commit to it publicly so that other people keep me honest? How do I start habits and behaviors where every day I invest 10 minutes in reaching out to people who I know support me and that I want to support, right? Or I start moving throughout the day. I take a break in between my meetings to do a couple push-ups or squats or something like that that, you know, gets my body moving. Like we can build all those things into our lives, but it takes sustained effort. And that's the part that's really hard, and I think that's where if we all start with the, the assumption that life is busy, it's really difficult to do these things, you can start to design into your life some of these behaviors, these habits, these mindsets that are really productive in the long term, and it will take you time to build, but if you can do it, then you're in a different place, right? Then a year or two, 10 years down the road, when something happens, you've built up a whole arsenal of things that you can draw upon that, you know, took you 10 minutes a day, but you really had to do the work and had to show up each day.
1: This is not not to take anything away from your story, but I remember I wrote a blog post after I did my my Ironman. And I remember as I was running in the Ironman and it's a long day, it was 14 and a half hour day. And I wrote in the blog post that, it strips away all the bullshit. It, it just strips you down to this, this really, it's, everything in life is very simple. It's just putting one foot in front of the, of the next, all the other stuff just melted away. And, and I can hear that in your story when all your job was is to stay alive. All that stuff that we think is really important, just kind of, it's like, wow, it's not really that important. Yeah. And I think COVID is, as you say, kind of paralleling that. I think some people are seeing that those lessons. Unfortunately, I think some people are going to go right back to the way they were. But I think this is such a wonderful environment for us to say, okay, let me do inventory of my life. And what's really important? This leads me to this, Chris. You, you, I think you talked about this in maybe one of your blog posts, but, and we've talked about this topic of post traumatic growth on this mm-hmm. on this um, podcast before, and that's what you experienced. For the listeners that maybe haven't heard our other podcasts or, or don't know this term, what is post traumatic growth, and how did you harness that? I, I think you maybe you you were touching on that already, but maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. So.
0: Post-traumatic growth is a concept, I think Tedeschi and Calhoun were two of the big researchers that initially, I think, popularized or created the concept of it. And, and the idea is that I think somewhat surprisingly, when people go through adversity, a really large number of them, and people disagree about what's the percentage, but but think somewhere between you know a third and two-thirds of people actually say that after that adversity, whether it's having breast cancer, a terrorist attack, whatever it is that they've actually looked at in the data, that they actually feel greater well-being afterward on any number of dimensions, stronger relationships, deeper faith, you name it. And this is a pretty amazing finding because you would expect that when people go through these really difficult experiences that they would be broken, right? That they would be frustrated, they'd be angry, they'd be all these things that are totally normal feelings. And certainly people do go through them and have post-traumatic stress disorder and any number of other outcomes. There's a, a spectrum, right, of outcomes that are totally normal when you deal with trauma. And I think you can move through those different reactions or outcomes over time. But post-traumatic growth, I think is exciting because it suggests that for the vast majority of us, when we go through something like this, we'll be okay. We can get to the other side and be the same or even perhaps better than we were before. What's become really interesting for me is not thinking just about post-traumatic growth, but about thinking about the, the extreme outliers. And I'm not sure that I'd count myself as one of them Take me out of this for a moment, but when I think about the people that I interview on my show and the research that I do, what's most interesting to me are the people who are extreme outliers. They've gone through tremendous adversity and then they've used that to transform their life for the better. So not to say they're 10% happier or 5%, you know, more spiritual, but people whose lives look totally different or they're just completely different when you talk to them. And again, it's not to, it's not to lionize those people. It's not to say that they're better than anyone else. Like this is an experience where these things are deeply humbling. And I'm lucky just to have gotten through them and to be having this conversation, right? But I think that there's a lot we can learn from the people who are the outliers, from the people who've gone through it and they figured it out or something clicked for them or they did something different than the rest of us would do. Like to me, that's where a lot of the insights come from. And so I think about that. I don't know if post-traumatic transformation is actually a technical term, but that's how I think about it. And that's kind of the, the aspect of this that's most interesting to me in terms of what do we take from it? How do we do better? And, and you know, how do we prepare for these unexpected type events.
2: I don't know if you would consider it one of the, or maybe the biggest opportunity out of what you went through, but, and I'm going to give you a chance to coach me personally for a minute, (laughs) but you, you mentioned in, in some of your writings that, um, going through what you did really helped you kick the habit of perfectionism. Yeah. And the need and sense for control, which is definitely one of my biggest flaws and so how how did how did that kind of transpire, and how do you how what relationship do you have with those two habits today versus before
0: yeah that 's a great question. I was a huge perfectionist, so I, I think it's part of it is my nature, part of it 's how I grew up, and then you know people say you are your first job." well, my first job was as a management consultant. And as an analyst, you know, charging clients lots of money, there's an expectation that everything is perfect. And what's great about those environments is people point out every single thing that's wrong. And that's really difficult from a morale standpoint. I think it has long-term lasting impacts on people that aren't positive, but it sure makes you good in a hurry, right? It helps you learn really fast when people point out every single thing that you do wrong. And so I think those jobs attract people like me who are insecure overachievers, for lack of a better term. and so. I was a huge, huge perfectionist. And I was also living my life in a way where if if something really difficult came up and there was more work, like you just throw more hours at it. Like if you need to work 80 hours, 90 hours a week, you just work the hours and you turn in something that's perfect every single time. When I got sick, there's no such thing as perfect, right? Like I went into it with that mindset. And then you realize really quickly, this is messy. I have no control over it or I have very little control over it. And I'm pushed to my limits mentally and physically so much that if I'm doing a good job most days, that's best case scenario. And so what I would try to do is basically not have too many bad days or when I had a bad moment, snap out of it reasonably quickly, and then get back to sort of my baseline. And what was really helpful was going through this with my wife, who similarly had similar jobs. we met in business school. We had very similar personalities in, in that regard. And to be able to realize together that Perfect was not only not possible, but as a concept, it was incredibly damaging. Like when we thought about our marriage, when we thought about me getting better, like it was so messy for a million different reasons that that wasn't possible. And so we were sort of forced to break that habit. And I think we're, we're much better for it. But I, again, I don't think that you need to go through what I went through to get there. Like when I think about now being a parent, so we have a, a daughter who's going on three years old. And so having a two-year-old during COVID has been, I think like many people with young Boy. kids, a challenging situation. And again, if you wanted to be a perfect parent, whatever that is, it's not possible, but it's certainly not possible in this context. And so if I'm being a good parent most days, or when I screw up, if it's not so bad, or if we can recover from it, then that's success right? And that's a really different way of thinking about it. It's not how we talk about it, but I think it's the reality. And so whether it's being a parent, whether it's having a job right now, that's really difficult, whether it's taking care of someone, any number of things, I think a lot of us are realizing that perfect is just not attainable. And I think that's great. I think there's areas in our life where we do want to strive, we do want it to be perfect, or we do want it to be really, really good. But there's a lot of other areas in our life where good enough is just good enough. And, you know, that frees up time to work on other things.
1: It sounds like, uh, I'm reading between the lines here, but it sounds like you felt maybe a burden lifted or, or a lowering of stress. I mean, I, I would say that I, we'll make this a trio. I am also, I always like to say, <laughs> if I was in the AA meeting, I would say, my name is Ron Duran, and I am a perfectionist, you know, I'm recovering. And so I was that same person. And I felt like I had a lot, there was so much stress to try to always be that that perfect, you know, whatever it was. Do you kind of feel that same way that it was, it was like, oh, I got the monkey off my back now. I don't have to try to be this perfect, I don't know, yeah. person.
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, there's still times when it creeps back up, right? Like if I'm writing something and putting it out in the world, recording an episode, like I want it to be good. It matters to me and I will put in the time for it to be as as good as I can make it. But there's an awful lot of other things where it's just not worth it. Someone, someone said something something to me that was extremely helpful. They said, think about this thing that you're stressing about and ask yourself, will I care about this in six months? And I think that's so powerful because the answer is almost always no. Right? There's a few things where it's true, but for the most part, it's no. And that's a really simple test in a moment of, is this worth staying up late, stressing about, lashing out at someone, whatever it is.
2: I like that. I like the six months. All right. Thank you for the coaching. I super appreciate it, Chris. <laughs> you know, you mentioned recording an episode, so I want to just jump there really quick. You, you do have a uh, podcast of your own, which you started, uh, I think, uh, last year. And it's called 100 Inspiring Voices. Can you tell us a little bit about it? And I'm curious if you have a favorite.
0: Oh, that's tough.
2: Yeah, that is tough. It's, it's
1: tough. like, who, who's your favorite kid? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, so it, it was a, a concept that I was thinking about, honestly, for about a year. And so I think there were some good reasons why it took me some time to get off the ground. And there were some bad reasons why it took me some time to actually do it. But when COVID, when COVID struck, I was finishing up a big project. And I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some of my client work on hold. And I'm going to do all the things that I've been meaning to do. I'm going to go try a whole bunch of stuff, take some risks and just do some different things because I was feeling a little bit stale. So the the podcast um, was one of those things. And and the idea behind it is to interview 100 people who personally inspire me. And they're people who've been through tremendous adversity. They bounce back from it. They've gone on to change their lives, change other people's lives. And so it's really about exploring what were those experiences like? How did they get through the worst moments of it? Uh, much like we've been talking about here, how they get through the worst moments and then how did it change their lives and and how do they think about going forward from that moment? So I talked to people who've been through these experiences. And I think one of the things that I've really tried to do is to have a broad range of guests. So I wouldn't say these are favorites, but but some people who have really different experiences. I mean, I spoke to a Holocaust survivor, which is just an unbelievable privilege to be able to do. I've spoken with a number of cancer survivors, veterans who lost limbs fighting overseas, people who are abuse survivors, bullied, you name it, right? And what's amazing about it is there's each of those stories is different. Each of those stories is inspiring in its own way. But there's also a lot of commonality right there's also some traits that you start to see in people about how they got through it or what they say they want their life to look like going forward and so i think what's cool is that there's a universality but then there's also sort of the individual piece of it right and so i get to go deep i get to talk to someone understand who they are and what makes them tick and i think what's been eye-opening for me is just realizing that you really have no idea what someone else is going through right like i experienced this when i was sick to some extent like sitting in an infusion center and seeing other people who were getting chemo, who like, you just never would have guessed that they were unwell. And I have the same thing here when I have these conversations with people who are, you know, by and large, high functioning adults who are doing really cool things. But you start to peel that back and, wow, they've been through stuff that makes my story look like nothing, right? I, I wouldn't trade places with a lot of them. And so it's it's been really cool to have those conversations. And the idea is to do a hundred of them. I really wanted to push myself. I was a, I was a sprinter as an athlete. I I, I oftentimes lose interest in things pretty quickly, right? I'm on to the next thing. And so this for me was a real challenge to say, you know what? This is a two-year project. I'm going to talk to 100 people and I'm going to do it. And and I think similar to what I said before, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to commit to it because that's going to increase the likelihood that I'll actually follow through if I've told everyone I'm going to do 100. I can't stop at
1: 13 or something like that.
2: That's awesome. There's you and Ron of, have so much in common. In I so just, you,
1: you're <laughs> learning endurance and delayed gratification. Yeah. And there's so many great <laughs> things here. Yeah. So, so, Chris, let me ask you the big question. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play Simon Sinek. What's your why? What, what, what drove you to do this? And what are you hoping is going to come out of this?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think what's been interesting about it is when I was a consultant, I worked with some really big companies. I worked with elected officials. I worked with some big foundations. I worked with a lot of quote-unquote important people and groups. I also worked on a lot of things that showed up in the newspaper. They were seemingly impactful. They were on the CEO's top three list of things to do. But what I'm finding in my work now is that the satisfaction and the thrill that I get from someone texting me and saying, hey, I just wrote my failure resume and here's what I learned. Or I listened to this podcast I've really been struggling with some health issues. It allowed me to have a different conversation with my partner or a better conversation with my doctor. Those experiences, I think old me would have said, those are really small or that's cool, but kind of who cares, right? Being on this side of it and having those conversations, I can't begin to describe how amazing that feeling is. And so I think whatever my why started out as, you know, wanting to share, wanting to to process and deal with some of my own feelings, whatever that was, I think what I'm realizing now is that It's pretty amazing to be able to help people who are in a similar place, going through a similar thing, or trying to care for someone who's going through something similar. Those experiences are really amazing. And so I think being able to show up and put out a podcast that people listen to, that people get some value from, to write articles, to do coaching, all that stuff where you can help someone transform, even if it's just that first step, even if it's just helping them figure out that first rock to go turn over, that's a pretty cool privilege. And so I think, you know, hard to say where it goes for me or hard to say how big it gets. I don't know that it matters. I think the depth of relationships and just seeing that impact in a very real way has been a really nice change
1: for me. And I'm, I'm super fortunate to be doing it. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. I mean that, you know, as as you guys know, there was my, there was my, my moment where my hair, the hair on my arm stood up that, that, I mean, that's, I know this sounds hokey, but that's, I want to see more people doing things like this. So I appreciate that. I'm sure that the, you know, the people that you talk to and then that you touch are so grateful for you giving a voice to this. So I'm appreciative of that. Yeah. Likewise, I mean, And I think one
0: thing that's been really cool is, is just realizing that we all need help, right? Like I have coaches that I work with. I have people that I look to for advice. We all need that support. And so I think there's something that everyone can give. Does everyone need to start a podcast or need to quit their job and do something different? No, absolutely not. But I'm I'm more like everyone else and I've been through a couple things. I can talk about those things, I can share some wisdom and hopefully make things a little bit easier for other people. But, you know, there's nothing special about me. I went through some experiences and I just did the best that I could to get through them and I'm, you know, I'm I'm lucky to be in a position where I can talk about it and and I think it is helping some people, but, you know, it's more similar I think to everyone else's story than not.
1: I'm reading a book right now called "The Red Platoon," and it's uh, it's about the Medal of Honor winner from a a battle in Afghanistan, the mm-hmm. Battle of Kamdesh. And about a third of the way through it, but he, you know, the Medal of Honor winner, Clint Romeshe, Romesha. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but anyway, he says we were just ordinary people put into an extraordinary situation. So I can hear that echo in you that. There's nothing special about me. I was just put into this situation and you did the best you could with it. I hear the humility of not only a Medal of Honor winner, but also in your words as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, in some of these situations, what else are you going to do, right? Are you, yeah. you, you mean, you got to show up. And, and so, you know, I think, I think we all like to believe, I think we all like to think that we would act a certain way in these situations. I think the reality is you don't really know. So if my cancer came back, I don't really know how I would handle it. I think I've done some things that would make me stronger, make me more resilient, but I also know that, you know, sometimes that bothers me and I know other people who have relapsed and that's a scary thought, right? And I, and I know a little bit about the cancer disease, but you know, I interviewed a woman whose son was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder. And I think about my daughter, her, her son was the same age as my daughter is now. And how would I handle that? I don't know. I think that would be incredibly difficult as a parent. So I think there. I think the more you actually spend time in this space, the more you realize there's a big amount of humility that's needed. And I think that's been a learning for me. I, I wasn't the most humble person before. The more I hear from people, the more I think about it, the more I realize you know, it's good to have some of that humility and it's good to have a little bit of respect for the fact that you just don't know what it's like to go through everything that you could possibly go through.
2: So true. Let's... Let's talk about resilience just a little bit because you sure. have you have a really incredible article out there. And this is obviously, as everybody knows, this is an uh, area that Ron and I spend a lot of time and it's super important to us. And I still feel like going through your article, I was learning so much. So check that out. And we'll put his um, website in the show notes. But this article on resilience, you talk about what it is, why it's important, how to forge it, how to use it. And how an exponential uh, number of people are looking for what this word means and how to use it and how to grow it if you've never had it before. You know, can you tell us a little bit about your mission personally? I mean, we know a little bit about your story, but how and maybe go into a couple of things in the article. If you if you recall, how do you help others find resilience and through their own self-growth and how do you help them do this? Or how can people do this?
0: So let me start with a couple of things that I think I've learned about resilience. And then I think there's really two paths for people who want to, at least from my perspective, start to build more of it. So here's, I think, four things that are true about resilience. So first of all, everyone has it. If you're listening to this right now and you're breathing, you already are resilient, right? You, you need resilience. You've gotten to this point. And so you have many different traits, mindsets, habits, behaviors, et cetera. That make you resilient. The challenge I think for many people is is that when adversity strikes, when you get stressed out, when you're anxious, you forget that. Maybe you get sped up, maybe you get a little bit too inward focused, whatever it is. And so you forget that you have many skills that you can draw upon, right? So none of us are starting from zero. I think that's the first and maybe the biggest takeaway. The, The second thing is that resilience is multifaceted. So I was just talking about this a minute ago what I went through and what allowed me to get through having cancer is different than my friend whose son, you know, wakes up every day with a disease that impacts the quality of his life. Right. Are there some things about the things I've learned and what I've demonstrated that would be useful? Absolutely. But are there other things about those two experiences that probably feel pretty different and probably test you in different ways? Definitely. And so even though I might feel resilient or feel like I've, I've proven some things, there's more, there's more work to be done. Right. It's, it's, it's not a, It's not a problem to be solved it's a condition to be managed right and so we try to show up each day with it to be as resilient as we can but you never get there right it's asymptotic there's never a point where you say i've reached resilience i'm there right so i think that's a really helpful thing to to think about now the good news is i guess the third point which is that greater resilience can absolutely be built right so if you're in the army you work with some of the trainers from Penn's positive psychology program, and they teach you resilience. There's all sorts of people, teams that are working on this all the time, right? And so it definitely can be built. And then I think the fourth thing about it is that it requires work. It requires an investment. You know, as much as I think my article is great, just reading that article will not make you more resilient. You can read it a hundred times and you won't be more resilient. It can be, the, it can be a start. It can be for the first step on your journey to becoming more resilient, but you have to do the work. You have to learn through experience. You can't intellectualize something like resilience. I think it's probably true of most things, but certainly not resilience. So I think those are the four big things that I would say that I've learned about it. For people who want to increase their resilience, and by the way, if it could be resilience. It could be well-being. It could be happiness and joy in your life. There's a lot of overlap in these things, right? But I look, th- look at it through the lens of resilience. For someone who's interested in having more of that in their life, there's two ways you can go about it from my perspective. So one is, is the very top down, if you're a project manager, the very waterfall away approach of, of doing this, this is the, you know, you start out with what's the objective, right? Why is it that you want to become more resilient? So when times get difficult, what do you, you know, what's going to keep you showing up? What's going to allow you to keep putting in the work? So you get clear on what your why is. Then you take a baseline, So you talk about, I talk about in the article, the five protective factors, you could sit down and say, okay, on each of these, when it comes to faith and spirituality, where am I compared to relationships, compared to my mental habits, et cetera, right? So take a baseline, figure out where are your gaps, where are your relative strengths? And then you can create a plan to say, okay, here's some things I'm gonna go try. I'm gonna try mindfulness. I'm gonna try meditation. I'm gonna try rekindling some friendships. You create a plan, you iterate, you reflect on it. That's one way of approaching it. And for people like me who like order, and they like structure, and they like things to be linear, that's a good way to think about it. For other people, people who are really busy, people who maybe don't want to make that investment, I think a different way, a different approach is just to get started. And so I wrote, I created something called the Resilience Workbook. And the idea of it was, if you had five to ten minutes a day, and you could show up every single day for two to four weeks, what are practices that you could start doing that would move you toward more resilience? Would they make you uber resilient, whatever that is. No, they won't. But could it be a first step for you? Absolutely. And so the idea of the workbook is pick one of the 10 practices, pick something that speaks to you, something that you're a little bit excited about, commit to doing it, rope me in, right? Send me an email and say, here's what I want to do. And I'll help keep you accountable and then go and get started. And I think for some people, that's a better place to start because it's lower commitment. You don't really have to become an expert on it. You don't need to know anything other than, Hey, it sounds really nice to reconnect with some people. So let me make a practice out of that for a couple of weeks and see how that feels. So if people are interested, that's also on the website. It's free to download, take a look at it. I think I think those are the two main ways that people can dive in. There's lots of other things that folks could do to become more resilient, to make this a practice. And if you find a different approach that speaks to you, great, go do that. These are two ways that I've thought about and that seem to work for people in my community. But like I said, I think anything that you can do to invest in yourself, your
1: growth, your well-being, I think those are all good things. Well, I appreciate the fact that you say some of the, I mean, we're born with this, right? We, it's in our genes. I always like to say it's it's in our DNA to survive and to be resilient and to be actually strong. I mean, a lot of people are thrown into this pandemic. And for the most part, not not across the board, but for the most part, people are doing okay. And and so I I appreciate the fact that you say, let's remember that we're built for this. We're built to survive. You know, we had a a previous guest, Shannon Huffman Polson, and she talked about, I think it was, she may have used the the term a lifeline exercise. And she said, let's go back and, and look at your life history and the idea is that you're going to find out that you're actually stronger than you thought you were. You're going to be able to see those times in life where you overcome, you know, obstacles or challenges and come out of it sometimes better, sometimes we fail and and that sort of thing. So that was her way of saying you're stronger than you think you are and you have something similar and you have what you call you, you touched on it a little bit earlier in this podcast, a failure resume, which I just, I kind of geeked out on that as I read your blog post, <laughs> because we like to highlight failure on this, this podcast. And, and the reason is not because we, we think it's, it's fun to make fun of people's failures. It's, it's the idea that even successful people fail. We all fail. And let's bring this to light so that it kind of normalizes this idea that it's okay. Yeah. We fall down, we skin our knee, and, and that's okay. We get up and we keep going. And so talk, talk to you a little bit about your failure resume and why you think that's so powerful.
0: Yeah. Well, I started thinking about it, I think, years ago because I was working with organizations. And what I realized was, you know, we'd be on a team, we'd do a project, some things would go well, some things wouldn't go well. But instead of sitting around at the end and spending a day or two and talking about what did we learn, everyone would just scatter and be on to the next thing. No one ever wanted to do it, even though there was clearly so much value that would come from sitting and reflecting on what did we do wrong, right? No one ever wanted to do that. And then when I, when I think about my personal life, I had all these experiences. And in the moment, like when I would compare myself to my peers, I was falling behind or I wasn't advancing in the same way, right? Because I was having to leave jobs for health reasons, doors were closing, all sorts of stuff was happening. And so I felt like, wow, I'm, I'm failing a lot. I wasn't really ready to label it that, but it seemed to be such a big part of my professional life. And so I think where it started to click was when I, in the last couple of years, really started thinking about this again. I realized when I think about my successes, it takes me naturally back to my failures. And when I think about my failures, it kind of leads naturally into my successes. And there's some sort of a connection between these two things here where I can't really separate them. And in fact, it probably doesn't make sense for me to, to be hiding my failures when they're a huge part of my successes, right? And so there's this weird paradox between these two things where I started, okay, maybe I should lean into this. Maybe I should start mining this and go deeper and, and see what else am I missing? By not spending some time thinking about this, what else is it that I could be learning or that I could be knowing, right? Or that just defines who I am and would make me more comfortable with how I show up in the world. And so I think the 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 idea behind the exercise is to just sit down and start writing out the things that you feel like you failed at. And it could be something that's big. It could be something that's small. It could be a setback, could be a challenge. Maybe it was your fault, maybe it wasn't your fault. It doesn't really matter. I think the idea is to talk about the things that didn't go the way you expected them to go, which as it turns out is a lot of things, right? And for me, it was really, I found that it was really liberating. It was cathartic, it was empowering. And and I was also learning and realizing, wow, I, I don't fully understand how the world works. Like we talk about success and we take all this ownership for success. And we talk about success as being linear and we talk about it as being sort of our own doing. And that's not always what happens, right? Like there's a lot of luck in life. There's a lot of things that look like failures that turn into successes. Like it's kind of messy. And so I think just being able to own that was actually really wonderful. The other thing about it incidentally that was really fascinating was, you know, I put some things out there in my failure resume that I think took a little bit of courage to say that. And, you know, there were things that most people wouldn't say about what other people said about them or whatever. And that was actually pretty cool for me to do that. And I I think part of the reason that was cool is because it was sort of like the idea of burning the ships, right? It was like, I want to go down this path. I want to keep doing this work. The the less employable I am, right? The more things I do to sabotage my chances of getting a, a quote unquote real job again, like the more I have to keep going. And that's actually a really interesting psychological trick, I think, that you can play on yourself. And so it's been really cool. And I think that the feedback from people is amazing. And I, I've been humbled by how many people have sat down and written their own resume and said, hey, you know, if it wasn't for this experience where I got fired or I screwed up at work or whatever, like, I wouldn't have been able to take the risk to go do something else. And I think that's, that's been pretty cool to see that, you know, I'm not the only one. And in fact, I, I think most of us have some sort of story like that or many of those stories that, you know, we've probably been hiding but I think might do us some good to go back and sit with it and see if after a little bit of time it,
1: it feels a little different than it did before. What do you think, Tara? Should we should we put all of our failures out there on the internet? First, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just cringing. <laughs> uh, there's some there's some courage and, and vulnerability. There's too. a lot of courage for yeah, that. Yeah. You know, we want to we want to hide those things. We don't want anybody to know that that we failed over and over again, right? Yeah.
2: No, it's good. You know, Ron and I talk a lot to speak with students, especially, but entrepreneurs as well. And a big topic in the last six months has been imposter syndrome. It comes up, even when we're doing workshops or or lectures that have nothing to do with that, that topic, it somehow sneaks its way in there. And people are becoming really, especially sitting at home alone all the time, I think it's really forefront on a lot of people's minds and they're trying (laughs) to bring normalcy to that concept. And I think what you've done and what you're talking about and this exercise in general for other people to do following in your footsteps really helps combat that. So thanks for being vulnerable and throwing it out there. Yeah. We before we we might ask you what one of these failures are so so get one in your brain but before that I want to find out you know I know you're you're writing a lot you're you're speaking with a lot of great people on your podcast what else are you what's next and what else are you doing and how can people kind of get a little bit more in touch with you or work with you specifically.
0: Yeah, I appreciate your asking. So people who want to learn more, the best place to start is my website. So it's ChrisBordoni.com and last name is B-O-R-D-O-N I. And if you guys are a link to that, that's perfect. So there's a lot on there. There's, there's the podcast, there's a resilience 101 library. And I think just one thing that's really interesting, and you know, we haven't talked about this as much, is that I really think that how you learn is unique to you, right? I mentioned two different ways that you can start on your resilience journey, but some people want to read books, some people want to watch videos. And so I've started trying to have a wide range of content so people can engage with resilience as a topic in whatever format makes the most sense for them. So I think the website is a great place to get started. And the, that workbook that I mentioned is also on there, which I think is, I think for some people has been a really f- fantastic place to get started. In terms of how I spend my time, I'm also teaching. So I teach at American University. In their business school and I teach an entry-level strategy class and then their capstone strategy class there as well. I have a coaching practice so I work with a handful of folks who are interested in transforming their lives and so that's been a ton of fun for me and then I do workshops and I do trainings. so for people who you know want <clears throat> to bring some of this conversation into their organization whether it's in you know an, an hour conversation or it's actually doing a series of trainings and workshops whatever that is i've been doing a nice mix of those, and that's been a ton of fun for me so it's a lot of different things that are going on right now, but honestly it's been fun to to come at this from a lot of different angles and you know like we talked about before, just find different ways that you can help people
1: I would say you're part of our tribe the, you know, might these, these are, yeah these, you're our people <laughs> you know we, we talked <laughs> offline about this idea it's a big tent right and, and we're all, we're all kind of I don't know. We're passionate about these these topics. And, and so I hope you continue to do that good work. We're going to change it up a little bit this week. For our regular listeners, we usually go with our signature last question of some advice around mental toughness, resilience, and grit. And we wanted to try something new with Chris. And we prepped him for this at the beginning and said, hey, you up for this? And of course, Chris said, of course, I'm up for this. <laughs> and so we want, to, we want to ask you, Chris, what would be, especially considering you just did a, a failure resume, what would, you, what would you say is your greatest failure and maybe what you learned from that failure?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what the most painful one was to write down. And I think this might be surprising to some people, but I had a job and I was doing really well in that job, I thought. And I was in a pretty senior position and I was you know, very motivated, looking to get promoted. And so I sat down with the CEO and I said to him, you know, what will it take for me to get promoted? to the most senior level in the organization under him. And he sort of looked at me and said, you'll get promoted when you have better judgment. Wow. And I was really blown back. blown away. I thought I had great judgment. I was doing work that my clients were super happy with. My team was really happy with the work that I was doing. I felt really good about it. Like, that was not what I expected to hear. And, you know, I went through all the, the whole cycle, right? Of like denial, anger, all that sort of stuff. But then i'd ask myself okay is there something in here that's true and i think what was actually most useful in terms of what i learned what i take how did it change my life what was really cool about that was whether he was right or not doesn't really matter but what it opened my eyes to is there's certain contexts in which we can have a big impact and there's other contexts in which maybe you can't have the impact that you want for whatever sort of reason and so when i thought about how do i help people how do i do work that's more impactful how do i have fun with what it is that i'm doing i realized. I might need to change the scenery. And not only do I need to change the scenery, but I'm someone who actually would probably do a lot better out of my own. And so that was the last job I had before I started my own company. And so I started my own consultancy five and a half years ago, do a lot of work with nonprofits and foundations. That work has shifted, obviously, now as I spend a lot more time thinking explicitly about resilience and reinvention and growth. But that conversation was really helpful for me to realize okay, maybe I've outgrown this situation. Right, I have a lot of confidence in my ability. I know that I can help people, but maybe this isn't the right place for me to be doing it. Right, maybe I need to have more control, and so the things that I'm good at can shine, and I can I can optimize my situation to be doing more of those things. So, in a sense, he did me a huge favor because he gave me a kick in the butt, right, to get to to leave. And as it turned out, too, my wife took a different job, and so we ended up moving. And so, you know, I, I was leaving that job anyways, but. That's still really painful, right? It's still really painful to to think about that. It felt almost like a little bit of a betrayal at the time. And it was by far the hardest one to, to put out publicly because it's one thing to say, like, I'm difficult to work with, or it's another thing to say, like, I've been sick and I have a health history or whatever. But when you're a professional and you're used to serving people and what people are paying you for is your judgment, to have someone say, you know, you need to improve your judgment, you need more seat time to really have the good judgment you need that's a pretty damning thing to hear, right? And so, I don't know, I'm I'm proud of myself for putting that out there. I thought about it a little bit and decided, nope, this is part of me, this is part of my story and it's part of my journey. So I, I wanted to put it out there.
1: Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then... Join the revolution
2: to forge metal and connect with us on social media.